Welcome to episode four of Owls About Stats. I'm James Marriott, sat in my uh, kitchen here in Sheffield. Let's go off around the world. Let's go to Northern Europe first and to Denmark, where Peter Lohman is. Hello, Peter. Hello. And James Allen is across the pond in New York. Howdy, James. Good afternoon. It's uh, it's it's still the middle of the afternoon over here, so I feel a little bit kind of circumspect, sat in a closet with a beer, talking to uh, to people sat in the dark. But uh, lovely to be back with you both. Uh, now, of course, since we last uh, recorded an episode of Owls About Start, Peter, you've been over to Sheffield. You've been to a couple of games. Uh, just remind us the grand total of goals that you scored by Wednesday in those games that you were over for. Uh, the same amount of goals as the uh, as the opposition zero. None. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but di- but did you enjoy it? That's the important thing. I did, uh, and this is going to sound weird to a lot of people, but um, as some of you might have seen on Twitter, um, the Reading game was uh, was the first time I took my my oldest son to a game at Hillsborough. Um, so that day is gonna is is for everyone else is is uh, it'll it'll fade from the memory very quickly, but for me it'll it'll probably stay with me forever because that was a that's a very special day uh, taking your taking your your kid for the first time. Um, that was that was really good, and uh, and he even said at the end. I mean, he's he's very reluctant about new experiences, but he even said at the end that he he wants to come back in in twenty twenty. So um, I'm I'm uh, gonna hold him to his word. That's for sure. Was that entirely right, down yeah, to the football, that. Peter? Or was it due to the exceptionally good sandwiches in the Riverside Cafe beforehand? It might have something to do with uh, not sandwiches, but uh, a huge overload of sugar and fat, uh, which seems to be a staple of British diet for kids. So I thought uh, when in Rome, do it the Romans. Uh, so I just loaded them up on sugar and, and bought them stuff in the club shop. So basically bribed them into being a Wednesday night. But you have to do what you have to do these times. Uh, these are desperate times, aren't they? <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so tonight, this is kind of like a a, a podcast of, of of sort of two halves because we've got a lot of off the pitch stuff that we're going to talk about um, a little bit later on. Um, but we will start by talking about on the pitch stuff. And um, I mean, we, I think we've worked out this about six weeks since we uh, last recorded an episode of of this. And it feels like it definitely feels like longer to me. I don't know if it does to to you guys, but I think. Just such a lot, lots happened in that in that time because we've had at, at least two managers, maybe even three managers, depending how you look upon it. Um, and yeah, it just feels like a, a lot's happened. Things have changed quite a bit, and um, uh, we kind of find ourselves in the situation that that we're in. Um, obviously, I think you know we, we, we're going to look to kind of focus on the the stats of the four games that that Steve Bruce has been in charge, but. Um, it's worth us just 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 looking at the uh, the ego and uh, Clemmy um, era and um, just kind of you know see roughly sort of how they did in that sort of holding role. Um, seemed to be particularly Steve Agnew, didn't it? That was kind of um, taking the reins during during that period. And if what we're told is true, he was kind of left to his own devices and he was making the decisions. Steve Bruce was um, you know kind of just on the end of the phone if he. Um, if you needed him, so um, uh, Peter, what what's the kind of your conclusion to the uh, to the Aggie and Clemmer era? Um, I think the, some of the issues that uh, we had under the Hukai sort of uh, resurfaced, um, especially the whole game, of course. Um, and then we had a very 
you could say, effective workmanlike um, home win against Wigan. Um, so in many ways, it was it was you could say more of the same, maybe a slight improvement. But we didn't really see him set a new direction. It was it was quite clear he was just holding uh, holding the can for someone else, waiting for for Bruce to come in. Um, so yeah, it was it was not as good as as good a period um, performance wise as as the, as the four games under Lee Bullen. Um So so I mean, we we probably got what we what we. Um, would have thought we would get from those two games um, in the end. So, and it's it's definitely a case of uh, of uh, as we sing in the stands, we're not going up, we're not going down. Uh, so, so I mean, it, if it, he probably, as Bruce has also said, he, he did um, at, at Millwall um, try try different things uh, and try different players in different positions and, and, and just figuring out what what they can do with this squad. So um, he's he's not going to be <laughs> he's he's not going to be a permanent manager at any club uh, anytime soon. Um, I would think. Okay, um, so so that neatly brings us up to uh, the bit that really matters, which is the Steve Bruce era. So um, I think it's fair to say, guys, that when when we recorded a few weeks back, when the news about Steve Bruce had just been confirmed, we were a tad on the negative side about it. We weren't you know, completely receptive to the idea. And I think that we'd probably got our, our eyes elsewhere in terms of bigger issues within the uh, within the club. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I kind of feel like as time went by that I've got more receptive to um, to, to, to Steve Bruce. James, you're kind of the same as me. What, what are your kind of feelings on things four games in now? Um. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because absent of the man, it's quite. It was quite easy to be reasonably sceptical, particularly from a, a kind of fiscal position as we entered the window. Um, the second that he set foot in Hillsborough and uh, and introduced himself to the Wednesday fan base, I think we all got a little bit giddy. You know, we suddenly realised that there was a there was an adult in charge of the team again. So, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll steer you to our respective uh, alma mater podcasts in terms of kind of the emotional response. And, you know, I'm, I'm as culpable as anyone else as getting a, a little bit excited about, um, you know, just the way he's kind of ingratiated himself to all of us and, and set about his task. I think he's done a great job on the kind of the man management, fan management, personnel management side of things. Um, the football on the field... I mean, we've had four games to, to watch him now, you know, starting with the Ipswich game and then uh, through a series of <laughs> um, not too thrilling draws um, the last minute in uh, in Rotherham aside. Um, it just in- illustrates the scale of the task ahead of him. Um, you know, in reality, I don't think we've really seen anything of Steve Bruce yet. Um, what we've really seen is is how he's t- setting about the challenge of trying to manhandle this misfiring squad into something that can, that can be productive. Um, and it's quite clear that Yosla Huke failed at that that task. Um, uh, Aggie and Clemo um, stabilised things somewhat, but certainly didn't turn it in, into anything like the sum of its parts. And I don't think we've seen that from Bruce yet either. I mean, that he needs the summer before we even start to judge the football on the field. Um, but it is interesting just to look at a few of the kind of the nuances of of how he's started to change the setup of the side and the way that we've. Um, we've said about the games that he has been in charge. And I think Peter's got the numbers on, on kind of the implications of that. Yeah. The, if you look at, uh, like the whole period of, of, uh, of Lukai, um, and, and then the period after Lukai was, was, uh, was sacked, um, we had 22 games before Lukai and we had uh, 10 games after, uh, he was sacked. Um, and if you look at, we've been banging on about these expected goals before on this podcast. And just to, to do a quick recap, it's, uh, it's, 
looking up the position the shots uh, you're taking are taken from and, and looking up the historical uh, average of shots from that position going in. And then you add up those proportions um, for, for an entire game. And on the Luukai, our, um, the, the expected goals we had for uh, us and, uh, and against us was um, pretty much in the, uh, in the relegation zone. Um, we were, uh, our, our XG4 was, was 21st and our XG against was, um, was, uh, was 21st. Um, and when we, uh, when we look at the, the period after uh, Luca was sacked, we, we, we actually ninth in the, uh, in the XG created. Um, and the, in the XG against, we, we, uh, we, we probably bounce for probably actually one of the better teams in, in the division. Um, um, I would say around third or something like that. Um, so it's it's a market improvement, um, not just when you look at the results, um, because we've we we now have uh, after Luca left, we have a, a point average uh, of one point seven. Which in uh, if you look at an average points per game uh, of the last uh, twenty seasons um, of the championship, that would normally end you up in uh, in, in fourth position. Whereas under Luca, our points per game was was one point zero nine. Uh, and that would normally end you up in, in a position of 20th. So that tells you <laughs> a lot about uh, what the, the second of Luca has meant. It's, it's similar, uh, not quite the same effect, but similar to when uh, when Mexican left and, uh, and Dave Jones joined us um, uh, on the Mandarik. Um, so so it's, it's, a, it's a market improvement. Um, and the interesting thing is we, we, we're actually scoring less now than we were before, but we're conceding far less as well. So we've we we're scoring more than we're conceding now, um, and and there's uh, there's always the issue with, with just looking at ten games, which is the number of games that have been uh, since Luca left. That that we've, we've been playing some quite poor teams, which was something we uh, we highlighted on the on the last podcast. So so that definitely figures into the numbers as well. But even though even taking that into account, that we uh, we we definitely um, we definitely improved and we've. We moved from uh, from being five points off uh, the relegation zone to be tw- to being twelve points off the relegation zone. But interestingly, which is uh, we we are still twelve points off uh, six, and uh, and we're running out of games. So so all this talk about um, <laughs> being able to make a, a, a late run for the playoffs, which is uh, something uh, Steve, <laughs> Steve Bruce is also bought into, uh, is is quite inexplicably. Uh, yeah, if if we just look at the so at, at the raw numbers for that. If we wanted to make a playoff push, um, at the moment, the team in six is on course to finish on 73 points. That means we need to win 32 points in the last 14 games of the season. That's 2.3 ga- points per game. Or if you split that over an entire season, 105 points in a full season. Uh, and suffice to say, no team in the bottom half of, uh, of the championship in the last 20 seasons uh, after 32 games has ever done that. Uh, and it's only, I think it's only one team, one or two teams in, even in the top, in, in the top two who've, who've done that. So just forget about the playoffs. Uh, but we, we've, we've steadied the ship. Uh, if I, to cut a very long story, sorry about that. Uh, sure, we've steadied the ship, uh, definitely. You've got, you've got me a huge smile on my face there, Peter, with just the raw analytical bluntness with which you're saying the playoffs are not happening. Um, not, not that really any Sheffield Wednesday fan, uh, certainly in their <laughs> right mind, would have, be under any illusion to the contrary. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty pretty direct. I, I saw the um, uh, the experimental three six one rankings for kind of probability of uh, a final league. Uh, position finishes. Uh, we were updated this morning after yesterday's games. Yesterday being uh, the the weekend of February sixteenth, 
And uh, I think they have uh, Wednesday with about a, a 20% probability of uh, of making the top half. That's not the top six. That's the top half, a 0% probability of making the top six and an 80% probability of bottom half but safe. So um, so that's what the uh, what the prediction indexes and, uh, and betting markets would tell you. The, the one thing I really enjoyed about what you just said, though, was the, uh, the stat in terms of our ex- expected goals against, so 0.98 in the last 10 games. Um, and I think, you know, pretty much all Wednesdayites, if you ask them one observation of, of the time under both the caretaker management uh, team and Bruce is, you know, bar a couple of individual errors against Rotherham, we have looked a much, much more cohesive and, and reliable defensive unit. Um, I forget, you know, is, it, is it eight clean sheets, I think, now, um, since Westwood and Hutchinson and, and others were restored to the side. So the work on the defensive side of the team clearly hasn't had an impact. And, and what I particularly enjoyed about the comparison to the experimental 361 rankings was their uh, standout team on uh, defensiveness uh, this season is uh, is a team called Sheffield United who have a 0.99 against average per game. Um, so we're, it's one thing we're beating them at this season, at least over the last 10 games, uh, as long as you discount everything that happened up until Gosla Hukai walking out the door. Okay, so some, um, some real positive um, kind of themes some positive um figures coming out of the the post yos era um let's let's just look a little bit kind of aside from the 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 stats at the actual games because you know Steve Bruce four games in uh we've scored three goals we've conceded two goals uh both of which were against uh Rotherham as we know on 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 Saturday both probably could be put down to uh defensive errors probably put down to defensive errors by the same player to be fair um uh, we've kind of seen a, a couple of different formations that have been tried um uh, Peter have you seen anything yet that gives you any sort of suggestion about how you think Kind of Steve Bruce is 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 kind of putting his marker on this team. Any any themes yet on the pitch that that tell us anything about the Steve Bruce era? Well, we seem to be um, a lot more um, on the ball, so to speak. Not not in a in a literal sense, but more uh, switched on, uh, which I think probably has something to do with the players wanting to impress themselves on uh, on Bruce. And, and there are a lot of players out of contract in the summer um, and a lot of players who, who didn't play the first part of the season for, for whatever reason. Um, and and I, it's probably more that than it's probably more, more the change of manager uh, than, than Steve Bruce uh, as the manager who has caused these uh, changes. Um, uh, because we saw that when when uh, when Luca was sacked and, and Bullen was in charge, because um, we, we've seen what Bullen did uh, the, the season before when when Cavallaro uh, was uh, was was sacked. Um, so, so I'm not going to put that down to to uh, to the manager uh, himself. Uh, I think the players have have realised that they they're not they're not in a risk of of uh, of, of being relegated, which we were on course to uh, on the course of being um, under Luca. But they have to prove themselves worthy of being part of Steve Bruce's project and and you they're, they're probably giving five ten percent more uh to be to be um to be respectful to Bruce they're probably giving five to ten percent more because it's Steve Bruce and not just um some random guy managing them um because he's he's got the name he has and all that 
tactics wise, uh, well, Steve Bruce has never been known as a big tactician. He's he's been very scornful of of people discussing tactics and and, and analytics and and what have you uh, in, in the past, um, which can have been a way a way of just putting a, a veil over his his uh, tactical plans. Because if you look at the formations he's been using as a manager in in in, the, in, uh, in his career before he came to us, he's he's used a, a, a wide variety of of, of, of formations. Um, three at the back and three five two and and four th- uh, four one t- uh, two three and, and I mean all sorts of different formations. So he's he's not he's not averse to trying things out and and uh, and he he was even very open about that uh, at Millwall trying out uh, as every Wednesday manager seems to have to to do uh, trying out Perry Bennon on, on on the left flank uh, trying to get the uh, the uh, the round pegs into the uh, the square holes uh, as it were with the with the lopsided squad we have. Um, so I think. What we're seeing is mainly a guy trying to figure out which of these players can I build a team on uh, and which of these players should I not extend the contracts off. Uh, and the big question, of course, which we'll, we'll get to answer later, is uh, which uh, options do we have uh, in the summer of replace, replacing those players then? That's a big one, of, of course. Um, and I think Bruce realizes he's not going to be able to to sign 12 players uh, for fees uh, in the summer. So he, he's probably looking at, can I... Can I mold these players into something differently? Um, and as uh, as you mentioned, there, Sheffield uh, United is, is is a great example of a team that has. If you look at the uh, at the at the parts of the team, uh, the sum that that they make up is is a lot bigger. Uh, so you can get a lot out of of of, of uh, not a much not not much in 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 this uh, in this division, which is the sort of job that uh, Steve Bruce has at hand. He he has to do what what Chris Wilder did at uh, at, at United basically. Uh, complete rebuild of the club and of, of the squad and that'll take two three four seasons before that's probably finished it was uh it was interesting you talking there peter about um trying barry ballon on the left and, and 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 steve bruce clearly trying to find some way of balancing this squad because when obviously he came in and said that uh, as far as he's concerned um fernando forestieri is a is a number ten. He's not going to be playing on the on the wing, so we we end up with this age old problem that we've had for about three years, really, in terms of just the balance of the the players that we've got available. It's, it's quite hard to find a way of putting them all into a formation that that sort of works. Um, uh, and and I think you know we're we're actually seeing on the pitch um, the attempts to to try and find ways of of doing that, you know, we've got seen George Boyd back in the team and, and other things, but, um, but yeah. Um, so uh, James, we find ourselves um, af- after all this and, and a lot of positives from the last few games, we find ourselves pr- pretty bang average. Um, in fact, pretty, pretty below bang average. You know, we are whatever we are now, 15th, 16th in the, uh, in the league, although things looking a little, um, Rosier, is is there any way of kind of looking upon this this current set of players that we've got and and describing them as anything other than just you know bang average? We are we are very much fifteenth for a reason, aren't we? We're fifteenth for a reason, and it's really interesting that you know pretty much as Peter just summed up for us, we're we're average as a team, as individuals. You can make the case for any one of these. And I think I would say that any one of our starting 11 individuals could play a role in a top six side. I'm not going to necessarily say they're the best position in the in best players in their position in the league, but in the right team with the right balance, they they could do that. Just the hard truth about Wednesday is that we have a set of players who don't play 
to their best potential together. You know, um, you know, one of the other aspects of what Bruce has been doing has been, um, you know, playing reach, for example, wide right primarily. And, um, he stuck to that task with aplomb. You know, we, we saw the fruits of that in terms of that last minute winner at Ipswich. And, um, and he had some joy as well, um, setting up the Gulf Forest area against Rotherham. But, you know, it, if we, if you ask the average Wednesday, is Adam reach at his best when he's playing right wing? Yeah. I'm not sure that's exactly where, where we would say his, his talents are best deployed, but, um, that's what we are left with. We, we've kind of had this rather kind of ad hoc recruitment policy, which has left us with a team that doesn't really have a core. You know, you can't point to a central midfield fulcrum that really holds the, the midfield productivity down. Um, and the same thing is true in the way in which we have all of these strikers, but they don't, we don't have a natural pairing, no matter how much we've talked over the years about how great it would be to see Hooper playing off Fletcher or Zhao playing off Forestieri. You know, we, we just haven't found those, those natural combinations, um, that, that set us up for success. And then if you look across all the metrics, including over, you know, the period where Bruce has been in charge, we just come out right in the middle of the pack, uh, in the championship. You know, we are, I was looking down at earlier on. We're 17th in the league for goals scored. We're 14th in the league for goal, for shots taken per goal. Uh, we're 15th in the league for our disciplinary record. We're 16th in the league for our possession stats. We're 12th in the league for our uh, pass completion. Um, in fact, oddly enough, the thing we do better than almost anything apparently is win aerial challenges. We have uh, a 27% completion for that, which means we're 10th in the league. But we're not outstanding at anything, you know? Um, and I think that's the sad reflection on this squad, which is that no manager yet and and this set of players in their own right haven't been able to come together and form something that's greater than some of their parts yeah interesting um james that you mentioned there about kind of combination of strikers and things like that because this is jumping slightly ahead kind of looking towards the end of the season but steve bruce has already been quite clear in terms of him saying that he thinks there are too many strikers at the uh at the club now we we kind of know that um there's injury considerations here. So we know that Sam Winall is probably not going to be fully fit you know, before the end of the season now. Uh, we know that Gary Hooper's not played football for over a year. We know that there are form issues with players like someone like Atty Nuiu's not really been having a, a, a particularly great season. Um, and we know there's also issues with kind of players like Forestieri and whether or not you really consider him a striker or not. Um, but if uh, uh, Steve Bruce is not daft, you know, this is a guy that's been around football for long enough to know that if he's going to find some way of turning this squad into a force to be challenging for the top six next season, uh, we need to find more goals. And uh, the best way of doing that is to have at least one 20 goal a season striker in your ranks. Now, um, statistically, Lucas Zhao is um, probably one of the best strikers in the league in a lot of ways due to the fact that he's scored quite a lot of goals from from not that many um, minutes on the pitch. But I think we all know kind of the uh, the, the downside to Lucas Zhao's game and we certainly saw that in the in the Rotherham game on, um, on Saturday. Um, so I guess I, uh, something for us all to kind of think about and talk about here is... is uh, where, where, where do those goals come from in this team? If, if we are serious about trying to put together something that's a, a top six, um, potential team, um, who, who out of those strikers is going to be the one that, that's going to be getting us 20 goals next season? What do you think, Peter? I think it's a good shout about Lucas Shaw, but, uh, the problem I see with Lucas Shaw is he always seems to play better when he's, uh, he's a substitute rather than, uh, 
rather than as a starter in the game. Uh, he's he's very much uh, a modern version of uh, of uh, Jermaine Johnson in in, in my mind. Uh, Jermaine Johnson could be on fire and uh, unstoppable on his day, and then he could uh, he could do one of those amazing shinder dribbles and, and lose the ball uh, when it looked like a, a three year old could control the ball. The similar sort of thing about Shaun. I mean, we are we are what we are. We are low mid table championship side. So the players we have and we're able to keep are players that aren't good enough to play at a considerably higher level. Uh, and you see why Xiao isn't. Uh, age-wise, he's probably in his prime right now as a striker because strikers tend to, uh, wide players and strikers tend to, to peak earlier in their career than, than, than uh, other players. So he's probably at or approach or very fastly approaching his, his, his peak uh, of, the, of his career. And, and the issue I have with him is, has he really improved um, measurably uh, over the years we've had him um, from, from a, you could say, from a young pup to, to what he is now? I'm not quite sure he has. Um, so I would be, I'd, I'd be, it would be a big risk to, uh, to rely on him as, as a main striker in a season. He definitely does a really good job as a, as a guy to come off the bench for the last 20, 30 minutes uh, when you're either pushing for, for a result or, or trying to, um, to, to, to introduce someone who can run behind uh, the defence. But we're, we're really looking for someone who can, who can do what Hooper does, uh, which is play off, uh, play off Fletcher. Because Fletcher's, he's still one of, even with, at his age, he seems to be uh, creaking bones and all. He seems to be, uh, be the ideal man to base your attack around. But then you have to, uh, to think, what sort of combination do you play around him? Do you play another striker next to him, like a, a Hooper-type player, uh, a traditional uh, big and small uh, partnership, or do you play uh, two players behind him, Forestieri and, and someone else? Um, do you play Fletcher in the centre and then play uh, someone on, on, the, on, on the left and someone on the right? Uh, that doesn't fit into Bruce's plans with the, with the Forestieri. Um, it's it also depends on on how much of an emphasis uh, Bruce puts on on defensive uh, solidity. If if he wants uh, a flat back four um, and and someone screening the uh, the defense in in, uh, in in the guise of uh, of Sam Hutchinson, that's five players uh, for the defensive side of the team. That means you you don't have the option of probably not don't have the option of playing three players uh, up front or or at least uh, attacking the goal. Um, yeah, I, I can't really see how, from as you were saying, how from from the combination of strikers we at the moment, how can we, how can we mould a successful partnership? I, I I don't really see it. Um, but but then again, I mean, the, the hope here is that last season, towards the end of last season, uh, it was a big fluke apparently, but uh, the combination of Xiao and Nuhu worked for some reason. Uh, so we might see something come out of the blue uh, all of a sudden, uh, a combination we hadn't thought of. Um, I would probably think that Winnell and Fletcher, if I were to go with two, and and they were all completely uh, full fitness and what have you, I probably think if you're going for a front two, I'd, I'd go with those two. I think they work well together. Quite quite honestly, with the striking department, um, I think this is a cast iron case of how Wednesday have to be radically different next year, and I'm, I mean that radically different, not not just in terms of. Um, hoping for that kind of um, that fluke of emergence of a partnership, Peter. But actually, I think we have to have radically different personnel. Um, you know, we all of these guys who we're talking about, we've, we've tried now for two, three seasons, and it, it, let's just be frank, it hasn't worked. Um, so, yeah, I, what I would like to see is a bit of a clear out and and some fresh blood brought in. Um, now, you're going to probably leave a couple of those 
uh, players in there for you know for continuity and for uh, for a certain degree of security. Um, and I don't see any reason why those two wouldn't be Fletcher and Drow, but I think we've seen certainly in the Millwall game you can't play those two together. Um, you know, for me, Fletcher needs a fast young striker running off of him. Um, and Joao just seems to prefer to just sit a little bit deeper and then run onto the ball, which I don't think that combination works. Um, and whilst I, I hear what you're saying about Winnell, Peter, I just haven't seen the evidence that Bruce is, um, is, is kind of, you know, going down that route. I think they were happy to let him leave in the window, although, you know, respectfully, they, they gave him the chance to fight for his place. But I, I think we're going to need a sea change. And what's really interesting is you compare and contrast, James, you mentioned in the setup, you know, Lucas Schwau and his, his kind of stats being pretty good for the season that he's had because he's come from the bench most, most of the time. He's, um, he scored what, nine goals so far? Um, I think that's on latest form, that's 143 minutes per goal. So not a huge amount of minutes, but he's, he's scored a fair few. But you look at the two guys up at the sharp end of the division, uh, Pukki at, uh, at Norwich and, and Billy Sharp over the other side of the city. Um, you know, they've scored 23 and 22 apiece. That's what, 116, 104 minutes per goal. So, you know, although Joao's doing well, he's not doing as well as players who are playing regularly. Um, you know, that, that same percentage isn't, isn't quite checked. Uh, you know, kind of correlating across. And a lot of that comes to the fact that those are just players that fit in perfectly to the style of play those two teams represent. So Norwich play in a high press, they release the ball early, Pukki gets on the end of it, goal like he scored against Bolton yesterday. Just easy, easy slot-ins. United play with those overlapping centre-backs, you know, a very, very high press into the six-yard box and, and Sharp gets on the end of things and scrambles them into the net. Wednesday have to decide how they're going to play and then pick their strikers to uh, to fulfil that, I think. That's a very good point. Um... Uh, which I which I definitely agree with. Uh, if you also look at at, um, at Puki, he was signed as a free transfer from uh, actually played here in Denmark for for Bonby. Um and and Billy Sharp obviously came up with uh, with United from from League One, so he, he's not been sought. It's two strikers that haven't been sought after. It's not someone you bought for ten million pounds or eight million pounds or however much Jordan Roach cost us. So the point here is also that that you can actually unearth players. Uh, if you do your homework and you do your your, your analysis of, of players uh, in the transfer market and plan ahead, you can actually sign players that will markedly improve your team without breaking the bank. And that's what we have to do. That's the constraints we we, we are operating under. So so uh, we need to we need to to be doing what all the, a lot of other teams uh, are beginning to do and 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 picking up players that are being undervalued uh compared to to, to the real value um and and um, and and signing them and, and 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 as you say don't sign players and then then start thinking about how you're going to play but come up with a philosophy a style of play and then try to get the players that, that fit into that system um on the flip side you could say that that what uh Marcelo Bielsa has done at the at Leeds is taking a group of players um because he's not changed that group markedly, he's taking a group of players and he's he's changed them into a different uh, animal altogether. So there is there is a chance that you can change this, the group you have into something differently. But but uh, and this is no disrespect to Steve Bruce, but Steve Bruce is not Marcelo Bielsa. Um, so so I would be skeptical whether Bruce has the ability to change uh, the squad of players he has into something that works in the way he wants it to work. I think he's more of an old school manager who who will try to get the best out of the players he has and 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 use his um, emphasize his work in in the motivational department and and not really look at, at the tactics. So this brings me to the the point we've been making over and over on this podcast. We need a sporting director. We need someone to to 
implement a philosophy at the club. Playing philosophy, a philosophy off the pitch, a philosophy for our academy, a, a style of play, so on. It's just screaming out for it um, because Bruce has a lot of good good uh, uh, strengths in, in in his armor, but I don't see long term planning and and club infrastructure being one of them. So we really need that, and and uh, and that will uh, that that will be something we'll we'll talk about in the in the short while uh, on the on the off the pitch stuff, which is is really linked to the underpitch stuff more and more so i i was going to kind of seg between the um seg between the the two by mentioning almost like the forgotten man of the football club in a lot of ways but you mentioned in there um about jordan Rhodes. of course is still a sheffield wednesday player he's on loan at norwich until the end of the season uh we know steve bruce has actually tried to sign him a couple of times for clubs that he's managed before uh we can read from from that and i think that steve bruce has been quite vocal about the fact that he's a big fan of Jordan Rhodes. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see whether or not Steve Bruce is thinking he'd like um, Jordan Rhodes to, to, to play a role next season. Um, probably the more interesting thing is whether or not that's going to be even remotely financially possible. So um, this is going to bring us on to the off-the-field situation at Sheffield Wednesday, and we've got so much to kind of talk about and go through here so let's try and keep some sort of order to it first of all um this is obviously the first time that, that we've recorded this podcast since the january transfer window uh i for one was a little surprised to see the the, the there were no outgoings at all um in january and we talked and in fact we've we've talked for well over a year now about the need to uh to 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 Move players on. We've 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 got to bring money into the club. Um, there, there is no other way that we're going to be able to balance those books. And um, another transfer window passes without it, uh, without that happening, and, and and no departures at all. Uh, we've subsequently had a departure from the club, but um, again, more behind the scenes one, and we'll talk about that in a in a moment. Um, James, what was your kind of verdict on the the January transfer window, kind of as a whole? Um, I think, James, the, the short version is the reason why we've waited two weeks to record this, right? Um, which is to, to let kind of my, my bemusement, your bemusement, Peter's bemusement, and, and to an extent frustration, uh, dissipate. Now, you know, usual caveat applies. We're not in possession of the data. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We specifically don't know what's happening in terms of dialogue with the EFL. So it's perfectly plausible to say that this is a safe move by Wednesday that we can, sort out our business in the summer and that that will be um, accepted as part of our provisional accounts that are submitted in March. But as things stand, Wednesday are heading to make an enormous loss in this uh, this operating season. Um, that loss will take us heavily over the FFP regulations, as has been described to us by our chairman. And we went into a window with a number of saleable assets which could have mitigated that loss, and we didn't let any of them go. And I, I for one, cannot understand that given where we stand um, in the current state of affairs in the league and the fact that it's painfully apparent that we're not going up. Um, now, put all that to one side, um, you know, fast forward six, seven games, and it's even more obvious that we're not going up. We've simply deferred the activity. We are going to have to sell players in the summer. Um, there's no way we get out of this FFP situation bar the rules being completely blown up, um, which I guess there's a percentage possibility around. Um we're going to have to sell those players come come May June, and we're going to have to explain the players that we're intending to sell come May June when we put those provisional accounts in. So, I 
don't understand why we didn't move sooner on that. I don't believe that there's another alternative source of revenue that can meet the the size of the gap that we have to close. Um, and so I guess in summary, my, my view is frustration because I'd rather get that get on with that now. Um, but I have to respect the hierarchy of the club and the feeling that it was better to to wait until the summer and to allow maybe Bruce time to, to run his rule over all the players and um, perhaps determine which he, he feels most uh, positive about letting go for a fee. Uh, Peter, I've got um, two words to say to you. Um, one of them is club. One of them is 1867. Um, now you've you've talked a bit about it on uh, on Twitter. It has been extended, hasn't it, until the end of um, or for another mm. couple of weeks anyway. Um, is 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 it going to solve all our problems? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, surprise, surprise. No, it's not. Um, it's. I mean, the numbers needed, uh, and as you said, uh, we put this on Twitter as well, uh, which uh, gave quite a bit of a of a response actually, um, which was nice. Uh, it's it's just ludicrous to to expect that to happen. And to be quite honest, I don't think the uh, this is going to sound a bit weird, but I don't think the objective of Club One Eight Sixty Seven is for us to raise the revenue needed to stave off FFP. I think it's similar to Chen Siri saying at the fans forum, "Okay, I'm selling the club." Then I think it's it's uh, it's an act of um, well, if it was one of my kids, I would say an act of, of petulance. <laughs> but this is the chairman of my football club, so I'll obviously desist from saying that. But this feels to me like Chen Siri is trying to make the point. Well, I can I can only I can only spend this much money. You, as you uh, evidently see from uh, not being not investing into uh, into this uh, this scheme. You as fans are not able to put in the revenue you, uh, I, I need you to put in to, to keep up uh, the level of funding I've, I've been doing. So I think this is more uh, a case of him saying, okay, I gave the option of putting in money. You didn't want to take the option. So now I have to, uh, I have to drastically uh, change the club's uh, way of running and, and change the squad and, and sell players in the summer. So I think this is more of a, more of a, you could you could say I mean in politics you you usually use like uh, commissions or or study groups to to like prepare uh, reforms and whatever so you'll, they'll come up with some some sort of figure that that seems really harsh and then the politicians will will uh, will end up uh, end up deciding on something that is a little less harsh but it'll feel like it actually staved off something really bad. And I think there's a similar thing that Centurion is doing now. He's saying, well, it could have been a lot worse, but. Uh, this scheme put in, let's say, put it puts in. Um, well, this is a high figure: two, three million pounds. We're still twelve, thirteen, fourteen million pounds off uh, saving off FFP. Even that, in that case, uh, and this is money. We, this is money we know will be coming in now because he, the deadline is set just before we report to the EFL about our provisional accounts for this season and for for the two next seasons. Um, so, so this is Tenshiri's attempt to to say after the deadline: okay, we're under an embargo now, again. Because you didn't buy into my scheme. Uh, the ironic thing is, if you look at every club in the Premier League and and the uh, and the Championship, this percentage share of revenue of of the clubs that is being made up of of uh, of matchday income that is money we as fans spend one hundred percent. Sheffield Wednesday top the table. We are we make up more percentage wise of our club's income than any other club in the top two divisions. So this is a cow that has been milked already. You can't milk it anymore. And I think Chen Shui knows that. So I think it's, it's 
he's making a case that uh, that we are having to go through austerity, retrenchment, call it what you want. But he's trying to uh, he's trying to to um, to yeah to just introduce that gently and and uh, and make it understandable to us. Because he, if he'd done it out of the blue rather than doing the club eight, uh, one eight uh, six seven thingy, um, we would have a lot of fans up in arms because we still have a lot of fans who think that we can just spend our way out of trouble. So he's just trying to, maybe he's just trying to explain it to us uh, in a very, uh, in a very um, studied manner. I don't know. That's my hope anyway. <laughs> is, um, is, is there a scenario um, that, that, that's going to be possible now that doesn't result in us being in some kind of transfer embargo in the, in, in the summer? Obviously yeah. there is a scenario, yeah, think- but can, can, can you see yeah. it? Um, as James said, I think there is a, a percentage possibility that the uh, FFP or the uh, profitability and sustainability PNS rules do change in the summer, because it's it's really uh, the weight of numbers. If you have ten clubs out of twenty four in the championship struggling to meet uh, to meet the targets, well, they, they are either going to be punished, all ten of them, or the targets are going to change. Um, the thing is here, though. As I understand it anyway, I, I think if you have to change the rules, you have to have the uh, consent, and I'm not sure of this, uh, and we can check up on this uh, afterwards, but I think you have to have the consent of every, uh, every one of the, uh, of the 72 uh, EFL clubs. Um, so that means League One clubs voting for championship clubs being able to spend even more than they spent now. Um, and I really can't see that happening. If it's only the championship clubs, there is... A slight possibility, but we're talking like twenty percent possibility that that uh, the other clubs agree to change the rules. We already tried this avenue. I think one of the reasons uh, Katrin uh, Mia was brought, brought in by Chancery was to work with the EFL and and try to to um, to make them change the rules. But obviously, she she hasn't succeeded. But we could be seeing that, and that's that, that's the only that's really the only uh, I wouldn't say realistic, but possible uh, out of get out of jail. Uh, cart that we we have in in our hand at the moment. Everything else is just pure spec- speculation and and uh, and going to the casino and, and hoping uh, hoping it land uh, the, the ball lands uh, at our number. You mentioned there about um, Katrine. Um, I, I must say when it got to the end of the January transfer window and, and no one had had gone uh, and then Steve Bruce starts the day after and then you kind of think well at least we've got a bit of stability now for the rest of the season uh, little did we know that the, there was still scope for um, for a, a bit of a bit of Sheffield Wednesday to do what Sheffield Wednesday do best um, so Katrine has uh, left the club and we start the search for a new CEO um, I was a big fan of her. Peter, you were a big fan of her. James, I know you were a big fan of her as well. Uh, what's your kind of take on this situation, James? Um, and what do you reckon's gone on? Uh, the, the latter part will be pure speculation, so I'll come to that second. I mean, look, my take is disappointment because I could see that she was making some progress, right? And I think she conducted herself very well. Um, and I think she's proven that... She wasn't the uh, the monster, the devil incarnate that, that Charlton fans made out her to be. I, I think she's you know she's done a consummate job at Sheffield Wednesday in the role that she's been able to do, and and that actually is the crux of the matter, which is is what she's actually been doing, because as we discussed on the last podcast, she has not been a CEO. She's been a chief commercial officer in in all 
truth. You know, she's been able to uh, influence the um, the commercial operations of the club. Probably the most notable and the thing that fans, I think, will probably have seen and experienced most directly is the pop-up shop at Meadow Hall, you know. Um, to be fair, she also oversaw a much, much better kit launch this year than last. Um, and... You know, she's had some role in, in also in the academy and in, in sort of overseeing some of the recontracting, some of the players. But by her own words at the last fans forum, she's not heavily involved in transfer. She wasn't heavily involved in making decisions around the whole FFP situation, although I would hope that her experience was levied to get us out of the embargo last summer. So really disappointed to see her go. As to why, um, I can only speculate that um, either she has some frustration with the the course that we're taking which is is a high risk course and that she had differential advice and didn't feel that she was empowered to to enact it um or uh you know there is a feeling that there is uh, other personnel to come into the club and that that commercial uh, role is going to be restructured in the future now whilst i didn't want to see her leave that that opens an opportunity for the club if they want to take it which is to actually get a proper management structure in place a true ceo overseeing the football club as a whole with a commercial leader reporting into them with oversight of of the commercial operation and building up um you know non-match day revenues which are critical for us and a sporting director or in placeholder form steve bruce and his footballing empire kind of overseeing all of the footballing transferring uh, elements as well so i have to hope there's going to be a maturity of the the governance and the hierarchy of the club going forward um but i am sorry to see her go um you know i think uh, she was she seemed to be just beginning to build a relationship with the wednesday fans as well which uh, which is a shame to see missed yeah absolutely and um yeah I, I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks isn't it because i think steve bruce um, it, it's not crazy to kind of suggest that what Steve Bruce is doing is um, a, a kind of a pseudo director of football job. You know, you, you get the impression that he's not the kind of guy that's working on the training pitch with the players day in, day out, that, um, you know, he's got his kind of coaching staff that are taking care of that and that Bruce is a little bit more kind of behind the scenes stuff. So, um, you know, maybe we've got the the first signs of, um, a, a different kind of structure around the uh, around the club, and we'll kind of see what what happens. Um, uh, what's what's your thoughts on this, Peter? You've you've been a big advocate for the idea of sporting director, um, a, a kind of a, an overall change in, um, in in structure. Are you seeing it as um, disappointment or opportunity? Um, I, I agree with a lot of what uh, what Jim Simon was saying. Um, it's definitely a disappointment because I thought Katrien was a, def- a big step up from from what we've we've been having in a professional sense. Um, and I I think it's a really good point you make there, though, uh, about Steve Bruce perhaps being more the the sporting director type of person or the old school British manager who had a coaching staff to to rely on. Um, and and we've we've not really had that for a long time. Uh, I mean, Stuart Gray was was very much a, a tracksuit manager, and uh, Cavallial, he, he well, he he wrote he wrote the book or a book anyway on uh, on football tactics. Um, and um, and certainly Luukai was also very much a, a hands-on uh, on the training ground manager. So so I think it's actually a really good point that we we, we might be seeing uh, Chan Siri saying, okay, I need uh, I need someone who knows football. So I don't have to be advised by these uh, these vultures who who seem to be taking my money 
and, and laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, I need someone who, who I can trust, someone who trusts, uh, has trust in football, someone who has the contacts. Um, so yeah, if I'm desperately trying to put a positive spin on, but I think it's actually, uh, it's, it's actually probably the most positive way you can look at it is that De Bruce is our new sporting director and the face of Sheffield Wednesday now. Um, which we didn't have with Catherine because for some reason she wasn't allowed to, she didn't want to, and she didn't want her to be the face of Wednesday, even though I think she had a lot of, uh, a lot of things going for uh, communications wise as well, uh, especially compared to Chancellor himself. Uh, but if that's what's happening, if we're transitioning into that, then it's, that's hopefully uh, a case of uh, taking one step backwards to, to take two steps forwards. Um, so, so yeah, let's, let's hope so. Okay, guys, um, it is time for the, uh, I reckon the bit of the podcast that everyone looks forward to the most. It is stat of the month. The way this works is that we each, well, actually, let's be fair. The way this works is that you two spend quite a bit of time researching a stat. I just grab something at the last minute. Um, and generally look like a bit of an idiot for the fact that my stats rubbish compared to, um, to, to, to the stats that you come up with. Uh, and then we see who's his best at the end. So, um, who wants to go first? James, do you want to give us yours? Well, why not? I, the, the way this actually works, James, is that I set you up with a uh, an average stat and then you come in with something that's much more exciting uh, due to your last-minute Google search at the end. So um, my stat today is inspired by yesterday's game at Rotherham, uh, in which Wednesday led for all of, uh, what, about 90 seconds uh, after uh, after Forestieri scored and then uh, Michael Hector lost, uh, lost leave of his... Uh, sense of positioning, direction, senses, whatever else it was. Um, anyway, it got me thinking back to the uh, the Hillsborough leg of the Rotherham game where uh, we led for all of about a minute going into half-time until they scored two, two straight thereafter. So um, I started kind of thinking, how, how, many, uh, how many minutes of Wednesday actually led this season so far? And it is a... Uh, an absolutely miserable about 680 minutes out of uh, something like nearly 3,000 minutes of football played so far. So, um, in other words, around 20% of our game time has actually been in a leading position, which explains why we're all so miserable this season. Uh, basically, one in five minutes that you've watched Sheffield Wednesday, we've either been drawing or behind. Uh, sorry, we've been ahead. So, four in five minutes we've been drawing or behind, um, which probably explains Wednesday night's mood and the fact that we're all desperately trying to think of something else other than the football in front of us right now. Do you know what? I, I just for a second, then James, I thought you were going to do the same stat as me because mine is also related to the Rotherham game, um, and my stat um, needs explanation. It doesn't sound great when I just give you the headline of it because my stat is one point. Now, clearly, that was kind of what we took from Rotherham yesterday, but incidentally, that one point yesterday at Rotherham is the first point this season that we've taken on the road after falling behind. Um, so every other game this season away from home, when we've fallen behind, we've gone on to lose the game. So um, there you go. It is the first point that we've taken on the road from a losing um, a losing position. Um, James, is yours um, Rotherham away related as well? Sorry, Peter, is yours uh, Rotherham away related as well? Uh, not really, but just uh, just as you were talking, you two, I, I was just having a look because uh, we've spent an average of twenty minutes uh, a game leading uh, the games we're playing, uh, and actually under Lou, uh, sorry, under under Cavallal, uh, in sixteen seventeen, our most successful season in recent years, we actually only spent an average of twenty five 
uh, minutes uh, per game leading. So just uh, just as a as a yeah a, a prevailing theme of of this podcast is uh, there are numbers, but they need context, and and you have to be aware of the uh, of the caveats. So so. Uh, yeah, it's it, you. You can you can stay yourself blind on that. Uh, that sort of stat. Uh, that that how much how many minutes uh, a team is leading. Uh, my numbers is a lot bigger than your numbers, uh, as the saying goes. Um, it's got ten numbers actually. Um, and it starts with the two, and then there's a five, and then there's eight zeros. That's two point five billion pounds. Um, that is the money invested by owners of championship clubs. In the period 2008 to 2017, 2.5 billion pounds, um, and half of that has been something they've spent simply to cover the losses of the club. That is, clubs in the championship have have uh, had owners paying 1.2 billion pounds in 10 years, in the last 10 years, just to cover the losses the clubs are making. Um, and if you look at the money Ten Series invested, it's it's peanuts compared to uh, to some of the other chairmen. And some of the, these clubs have gone on to win promotion, and some of them haven't. But he's he's about eighty million uh, in, and um, owners of of Brighton, owners of Aston Villa, uh, and so on, are have, have invested more than three hundred million uh, while they've been in the championship. So uh, this really tells you another prevailing theme of of uh, of certainly this podcast, but also the uh, the FFP specials we did uh, in the past year. And so, uh, so that, yes, Chancery is investing a lot of money, but it's, I wouldn't say small fry, but it's it's just about par for the course compared to the rest of the division. You have to spend an obscene, an absolutely obscene amount of money in the championship these days just to keep an, keep an even keel. And and I, I don't know why anyone with with, uh, with common sense or the acumen to to make money in business would would actually do this. It's uh, just complete suicide financially to to be involved with the football club uh, in, in the championship, as as these numbers clearly uh, clearly bear out. So, so my number is two five zero 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 two point five billion pounds. It's just an insane amount of money, that isn't it? It really is. Crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, right, Peter, we're sticking with you because it is Ask Peter time. So um, a couple of questions. Um, I'm going to ask you the first one, and this comes from um, at Matt RPSWFC on um, Twitter. So, Peter, what Matt's asking is about um, the relative luxury that is uh, a three o'clock kickoff for, for Wednesday now, because we seem to have fewer and fewer games that kick off three o'clock on, um, on Saturday. Um, so Matt's really wondering, um, whether or not, well, do we play better when we kick off, uh, at three o'clock on Saturdays? And the uh, conclusive answer to that question is no, we don't. Um, it depends how you look at it, actually, uh, because if you look at like the raw numbers, if you look at like, the win percentage, we actually do win more games uh, when we play on a Saturday rather than the other days of the week. Uh, but if you look at the points won, uh, we actually do better on uh, on on Sundays uh, and actually also on, on Fridays. Um, so, so I mean, it's 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 a case of uh, of probably looking at the wrong uh, correlation here because. The reason games get moved these days isn't, or 
most of the time isn't about uh, South Yorkshire Police being uh, being what they are. It's about the team about TV wanting to maximise their the viewing numbers. So they'll pick games where where the teams playing are generally uh, better than the average teams in the division. So the teams will be playing in the games that are moved from Saturday three pm will tend to be harder games than the ones we don't play on Saturday three pm. Um, so so if but if you look at the stats, uh, well the home games we play uh, on a Sunday we we um, we actually. Uh, which you tend to, to to take a lot of points from, um, and uh, and if if you look at the the worst day of the week, it is ironically the Wednesday, <laughs> um, where we take a, it's nearly it's only sixty percent of the points we get on 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 Sundays, but all this is probably what you would in a statistical sense would call uh, call noise rather than rather than a signal. It's probably correlated to something else than than the day of the week we're playing. So I think this is a bit of a, this is a good good opportunity to introduce again the the uh, all the caveats we we keep stressing that if you look at the numbers but you stare yourself blind on a number uh, you can you can lose track of what you're trying to to to, to discover um, yeah so I'd be I'd be very careful uh, thinking there there's a, a, a significant effect of of the day of the way we uh, day of the week we're playing or the time of the of the day we're playing you see you say that very rationally Peter. But then this is a football club that famously moved its midweek games away from a Wednesday to a Tuesday night. Now, they say it's because it gives more recovery time before the following weekend, but maybe they're party to some analysis that had the same superstitious uh, view of Wednesday night performances, right? So uh, we will never know. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to move you on, though, to the second question, which is uh, from Nick Ashby, um, who's on Twitter at Cashby1. Uh, so Nick Ashby, Cashby. Um, I guess he's uh, he's also a follower of Financial Fair Play. Um, he's got a very straightforward question. He said, since the stats can tell us so much, can they also objectively pick our best 11? So, Peter, based on the information available to you, can you list our our top 11 players this season? Uh, you you could do that. You could construct uh, the, the basic way of doing it is is looking at um, how many points uh, have we won uh, during the games that these players have been on the pitch, and uh, and if you look at that, then you you definitely have uh, some 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 clear winners: um, George Boyd, uh, Kieran Westwood, um, to a degree, Sam Hutchinson as well, uh, jump out. The interesting thing about those three players is they didn't play at all during uh, the first half of the season under under Luukai. Um, so the question here really is: Do these players have a good uh, point per game record because uh, they're good players, or do they have that because they they happen to come into the club when the manager was changed into someone who wasn't um, incompetent in the, in the job he was doing? Um, so again, um, and I'm sorry to go on about this, but th- this probably tells you something about the caveats of, of looking using those sort of stats to, to tell you about uh, a player's uh, contribution to the team. Um, and I know a lot have been made about uh, before the, the, before Luca was sacked about Morgan Fox and his record um, uh, when playing. Uh, that all being said, as I said, uh, Boyd and Westwood and, and to a degree Hutchinson come out come out really well in these uh, sort of stats. But also interestingly, uh, Marco Matias uh, and uh, and Liam Palmer also uh, jump out as someone who's 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 to watch the uh, the top and and uh, Fernando Forestieri as well. Uh, but Matias and uh, and Palmer, you you wouldn't expect at that end. I mean, if if, if you're going by by Wednesday folklore, then then especially Liam Palmer, 
he would be uh, he would probably be down the near the bottom for for, for those uh, for, for, for for the majority of fans. So it both tells you something about him contributing more than than we're probably giving him credit for, but it also tells you that this sort of way of looking at picking your best eleven probably isn't the right way. And and this goes back to the discussion we had earlier on in the podcast about having a, a lopsided squad and not having a having a squad of. Uh, of, 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 of round pieces trying to fit them into to square pegs uh, because we don't have a a balanced squat uh, we don't have a squat that fits together we don't have a squat that that gets to be more than the, the sum of the, its parts when when we when we put uh, put a team out uh, choosing from it Cool. Thank you, uh, Peter. And uh, if you'd like to, uh, if you've got kind of a stat-based question or something that's kind of on your mind, you'd like to uh, throw it our way, then drop us a line via Twitter at OwlsAboutStat, or uh, you could drop us a line via our shiny new website, OwlsAboutStat.com. Uh, right, James, it's back to you now for um, your regular um, kind of little ditty at this point um, on this day. Yeah, and I uh, I cheated, in all honesty, because um, I spent a bit of time trying to find out what had happened on the 17th of February, and um, it just seemed to be a litany of losses in the mid-2000s at, uh, at Luton and uh, Chesterfield and various other depressing places. So um, I took us back to 1991-1992, which is always in the avoidance of... Um, of any other circumstance, it's always a good place to go back to, right? A heralded season, a season when Wednesday were, uh, were back in the big time, back in Division 1. Um, and I say I cheated because it was the 15th of February that we went away to Arsenal. Um, so the 15th of February, 1992, away game at Arsenal, uh, Wednesday in Division 1. Arsenal hadn't won a home game since before Christmas, so uh, so a good time to play them. Obviously, Wednesday were challenging at the top end of the division. I think we were uh, we were fourth going into the game. Um, and all looked very good at halftime. We were uh, we were at one one um, after Nigel Worthington scored his seventh goal in seven years uh, for Wednesday to cancel out Alan Smith's opener. Um, somehow that game ended up with Arsenal running out seven one victors. So um, we talk about Wednesday's uh, trials and tribulations this season. We uh, we conceded six goals in the second half. Um, Anders Limpar got a couple. Kevin Campbell caught, scored two. Ian Wright, who always seemed to score against us, and Paul Merson, who when I watched the highlights back earlier on, scored an absolutely mercurial chip uh, over Chris Woods, who uh, who looked like he hadn't got a clue what was going on, which should have been preminiscent of what would happen uh, twelve months later at Wembley. Um, but it just kind of struck me that in the uh, in the midst of an amazing season like we had uh, that year. Um, we managed to uh, to ship six goals in the second half against uh, an Arsenal team that at the time wasn't necessarily firing on all cylinders, although they had some some very story players. So um, probably a life lesson to all of us that the um, the good times and the bad times flow, but Wednesday are Wednesday and always will be Wednesday. I remember that game. Um, I remember that game well. I think it's when were they doing building work at Highbury and they got like a mural at one end of the ground because. Um... The, I think they were, were they rebuilding one of the stands or something like that? I remember it being. Yeah, a, so, so I thought that as well, but I think that was the year, the following year, because right. watching the highlights back, and it, <laughs> the funny thing about the highlights, Arsenal scored so many goals that the, uh, the video that's been ripped off the, uh, the Wednesday, uh, end of season DHS has a, uh, has a mu- musical soundtrack for all the, uh, the Arsenal goals going in. It kind of gets up this high tempo kind of, uh, dance track. Um, but the stand is still there, James. So, uh, so I think it was the following season because I think that year was the year that Steve Bold ripped the back of um, Hursty's Achilles tendon in the equivalent yes. fixture. Yes, yes, remember that well, remember that well. Right, okay, thank you, James. Um, so all that's really left for us to do now is to have a little of a, a little bit of a look forward 
um, to games that we've got coming up. So a couple of games left in February, uh, both home games. So Swansea and uh, Brentford, a game that was rearranged from a few weeks back when we uh, got ourselves mixed up with the uh, the FA Cup. So uh, Swansea on Saturday, Brentford next Tuesday. And um, yeah, I mean, that kind of brings a close to what I, I guess you would describe as being the slightly... Um, I'm doing the floppy bunny ears when I say this, the slightly easier run of games. When we get into March, uh, yeah, it's um, it doesn't make great reading. So in March, we've got the uh, the trusty Monday night game against our neighbour Sheffield United. We're away at Derby. We're also away at Bolton, uh, away at Stoke at the end of the month. And just before that, we've got Blackburn Rovers at home. So um, only a couple of home games in. March, some really tough away games as well. Peter, what are you expecting from those next seven or eight games? Um, as you said, we've uh, and we talked about this last time on the podcast, we, we were coming into a period of, of playing, uh, I think six of the seven fixtures at that time were against teams uh, below us on the table and they had four wins between them in the in the in, in the 24 games that they played uh, up to that point um so the points haul we we have from those games is is really quite poor um so if you look at the at the next couple of games coming up uh we, we, as you say we we've, we've got Swansea um who are, who are, who are a bit of a weird team because they a clear playing style uh and they're probably pulling for next season. Um, and, and I'm a big fan of, the, of, of their manager. Um, but I, I could see them being a team that we could probably do better against than, than, than most other teams because they tend to play football rather than just fight football. Uh, similar with, the, with, with Brentford, actually, because Brentford uh, have been re- seriously underperforming this season. If you look at their underlying numbers, if, if you look at their, their, their expected goals, they should be, be in, in sixth position, but they're 16th. So that, that tells you something about uh, the season they're having. Um, and the fear is they, they could click into gear like they did uh, against us um, uh, in the reverse fixture. Obviously, United are, are in the promotion uh, spot at the moment and, and uh, totally validated by, by the underlying performances. They're the best team in, in, in the division if you look at the underlying numbers. Um, I'm sad to say, but that's just the case it is. Uh, that's just the, the way it is. So we're probably scrambling for, for another uh, unspectacular uh, no-score draw uh, in that game. Um, Derby are an interesting case of uh, reverse case of Brentford, really, uh, in that they're seventh and, and looking like a team who could make a push for the playoffs. But their chance creation is really poor um, and, and um, the defence not really that solid. So they've... Uh, if you're going solely by expected goals, it'd be 17th in division. Um, so it's a team that has been overperforming their numbers all season um, and probably papering over some cracks, uh, similar to what uh, actually Luka was doing uh, while at ours, uh, ironically. Bolton, are, yeah, they're right, right in the numbers as a, as a team that is just about gone. So if that's another a game, just like the, the three we've just been playing, that we should be winning. Uh, Blackburn are also uh, like us, uh, a lower mid-table side, uh, both on on the the actual points and and the expected points. Um, and Stoke are a mid-table side as well. Um, so we definitely have. I mean, I, I think Swansea, Brentford, and United and are, are three tough games. Derby we always seem to struggle with, um, and uh, we'll probably be able to do more on that. Uh, 
bogey teams and, and what teams will have a good record against uh, for, for next month. Um, but Bolton, uh, Blackburn, uh, and maybe even Stoke, we, we should have a decent sense of winning again. So we're probably looking at a similar record to, to the one we've had uh, all season, really. Uh, that is uh, win one, uh, draw one, uh, lose one uh, or two games and, and, and continue until the end of the season. So, yeah, not going up, not going down. Yeah, probably the truth. Um, I kind of, in my mind, I sort of think that the, the interesting thing about this run of games is that it will at least give us a little bit more into an insight as to the kind of team that we're going to be under Steve Bruce because, you know, we'll start to see little patterns emerging. We'll start to learn a bit more about what he's going to be looking for from uh, from the players. Um, we've obviously got a, a couple of players that, that came in in January who've not had a huge role to play um, uh, so far. An interesting Dominic Iora getting on the the score sheet on uh, on Saturday. Whether or not you know that kind of gives his chances of getting a run in the team a, a, a bit of a boost. So um, yeah, in my mind, I think um, it's just going to be interesting to to just kind of sit back and just see what happens really, and what we what we learn over a period of uh, of games, and you know hopefully pick up that what we're on now. Is it forty one points that we're on now? So a couple of wins yeah. from um, from from the next kind of six or seven games would uh, would go down very well, and you'd be looking at Bolton away, wouldn't you? As as a winnable um, a winnable game, we do have an awful record there, though. Let's be fair. Um, and um, last season we went there and they'd not won. I don't think they they won a game all season or something, and they um, they did us over. And anyway, yeah, we'll um, we'll, we'll we'll see how that um, how that month unfolds. Um, I think that's pretty much going to do us then for uh, for episode four of Owls About Stat. Um, James Allen, are you um, over for any games before the end of the season? And um, where can people find your musings? Um, that's quite a long window, James. I'm hoping to be across in April. So yeah, I'm hoping to uh, to get a couple of games in before uh, before the season closes. Um, but I don't think I'm likely to see any of the, uh, the range that we've just talked about in person, um, which is arguably an even worse thing than watching them on iFollow, which I will be doing. So uh, imagine Peter's pain of being sat in the stands in Millwall on uh, on Tuesday night. At least he had the pleasure of singing with the Wednesdayites. I was uh, I was sat watching it in the uh, the midday sun in uh, in New York, desperately trying to find a reason why I wanted to carry on watching it. So, uh, so yeah, not going to see uh, many games in person uh, over the next couple of months. Um, but in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at P-L-O-E. H M A N N P Loman, uh, and yeah, as you said earlier on, uh, if you have any stat-related questions or things you've been wondering about, what the stat says about that uh, particular fact, then uh, just um, just get in touch with either me or or the, or the podcast uh, account, and we'll uh, we'll look into it. But uh, with a newfangled website um, up and running, uh, I'll hopefully be able to uh, to do some 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 more deep dives into stuff uh, that. We'll have graphs and lots, lots of numbers in writing uh, with them uh, on, on the website. So, so um, fingers crossed, uh, I'll be able to get around to doing stuff, some of that stuff um, over the next month or, or two, um, and hopefully that will um, that will also elicit some responses and, and uh, reactions from people. 
Absolutely. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at James Marriott. Uh, the podcast is at Owls About Stats. The website, uh, as mentioned by Peter there, owlsaboutstat.com. Uh, and we do definitely have plans for doing a lot more kind of written stuff to go alongside the stuff that we talk about. I know it can be, sometimes we throw a lot of figures at you and it can be hard to take it all in. So as Peter mentioned, you know, we'd like to do some kind of, um, Maybe like sort of like a handout pack, like you used to get at college and university, that kind of thing, um, that you'll be able to um, see on the website and kind of follow as we kind of talk about it on the podcast itself. But um, you know, we're just not that organised yet, so we've uh, we've not done it. So um, we'll see what we come up with for our next episode, which will be in around a month from now. Thank you for your company, and we'll speak to you again soon. <laughs>